plushcare.com healthcare that makes you smile virtual primary care and mental health treatment when you need it get personalized high quality healthcare by taking talking to top u.s medical doctors all from the ease of your smartphone care for you and the ones you love most high quality care uh, plush cares highly skilled online doctors are trained at the top of 50 u.s medical schools with an average of 15 years of experience their online doctors give you and your entire family the peace of mind you should expect from your health care provider convenient just book an appointment chat via on video or your smartphone and pick up your prescription from your pharmacy their advanced technology is integrated with most major insurers labs and pharmacies Affordable, talking to an online doctor has never been easier and more affordable for just your copay or $99 per visit. You can get quality care from one of their highly skilled online doctors. They are in the network with most major insurers in the U.S. and provide care in all 50 states. Over 450,000 patients cared for. Careof.com. You know your body. Careof knows science. Let's work together. Find the right vitamins, protein, and now collagen too. Personalized just for you. Healthy doesn't have to be hard. Care-of makes it easy. Take the quiz. Tell Care-of a little bit about yourself. They're good listeners. Get nutrients that work. Get your personalized recommendation backed by science and delivered to you. Stick with it long term. Keep the conversation going. Care-of will just as your health needs change. A routine tailored to you. Care-of. Helps you create a health plan with vitamins, supplements, and more that help you feel your best today and support you long-term. Care-of is with you. Once you have your tailored plan, Care-of will help you stick with, with it, track your supplements, learn about how they work, and get new recommendations as your health changes, all in, our, in Care-of's handy app. Say hello to your new healthy habit. Honest guidance. Care-of promises to be honest with you that means they'll show you the research and be transparent about how established it is they don't pretend all supplements have equal levels of scientific evidence or traditional history because that isn't the truth but they will always show you their work and tailor their guidance to you as an individual better ingredients Care's research and development team has traveled the globe so they can provide the most effective, bioavailable, and sustainable ingredients possible. They're transparent about their supply chain because they build products they want to take and then they deliver them straight to your door. Here is part two of U.S. President number 41, George H.W. Bush. Vice Presidency, 1981-1989. As Vice President, Bush generally maintained a low profile, recognizing the constitutional limits of the office. He avoided decision-making or criticizing Reagan in any way. This approach helped him earn Reagan's stress, easing tensions left over from their earlier rivalry. Bush also generally enjoyed a good relationship with Reagan's staffers, including his close friendship, his close friend Jim Baker, who served as Reagan's initial chief of staff. His understanding of the Vice President was heavily influenced by Vice President Walter Mondale, who enjoyed a strong leadership with relationship with President Carter, in part because of his ability to avoid confrontations with senior staff and cabinet members, and by Vice President Nelson Rockefeller's difficult relationship with some members of the White House staff during the Ford administration. The Bushes attended a large number of public and ceremonial events in their positions, including many state funerals, which became a common joke for comedians as the President and Senate 
Bush also stayed in contact with members of Congress and kept the president informed of occurrences on Capitol Hill. First term, President on March 30, 1981, while Bush was in Texas, Reagan was shot and seriously wounded by John Hinckley Jr. Bush immediately flew back from Washington, D.C. When his plane landed, his aides advised him to proceed directly to the White House by concert in order to show that the government was still functioning. Bush rejected the idea as he feared that such a dramatic scene risked giving the impression that he sought to usurp Reagan's powers of prerogatives. During Reagan's short period of incapacity, Bush presided over cabinet meetings, met with congressional, congressional leaders and foreign leaders, and briefed reporters, but the consistency rejected the possibility of invoking the 25th Amendment. Bush's handling of the potential assassination and its, uh, and its aftermath made a positive impression on Reagan, who recovered and returned to work within two weeks of the shooting. From this on, the two men would have regular Thursday lunches in the Oval Office. Bush was assigned by Reagan to chair, to chair two special task forces, one of deregulation and one with international drug smuggling. Both were public issues with conservatives, and Bush, largely a moderate, began courting them through his work. The, the deregulation task force reviewed hundreds of rules, making specific recommendations on which ones to amend or revise in order to curb the size of the federal government. The Reagan administration's deregulation pushed had a strong impact on broadcasting, finance, resource extraction, and other economic activities. The administration eliminated numerous government positions, which also oversaw the administration's national security crisis management organization, which has traditionally been the responsibility of the National Security Advisor. In 1983, Bush toured Western Europe as part of the Reagan administration's ultimately successful efforts to convince skeptical NATO allies to support the deployment of Pershing II missiles. Reagan's approval rates fell after his first year in office, but they bounced back with when the United States began to emerge from the arrest, recession in 1983. Former Vice President Walter Mondale was nominated by the Democratic Party in the 1984 presidential election. Down there in the polls, Mondale selected Congressman Geraldine Ferraro as running mate in hopes of galvanizing support for his campaign, thus making Ferraro the first female major party vice president. Pre Vice presidential nominee in U.S. history. She and Bush squared off in a single televised vice, pre vice presidential debate. Public opinion polling consistently showed a Reagan lead in the 1984 campaign, and Mondale was able to shake up the race. In the end, Reagan won re election, winning 49 of 50 states and receiving 59% of the popular vote to Mondale's 41%. Second term, Mikhail Gorbachev came to power in the Soviet Union in 1985. Less ideologically rigid than his predecessor, Gorbachev believed that the Soviet Union urgent, urgently needed economic and political reforms. As in 1987, Washington Summit, Gorbachev and Reagan signed the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, which committed both signatories to the total abolition of the respective short range and medium range miss, missile stockpiles. The treaty marked the beginning of a new era of trade openness and cooperation between the two powers. Though President Reagan and Secretary of State George Shultz took the lead in these negotiations, Bush sat in on many meetings and promised Gorbachev that he would seek to continue improving Soviet-U.S. relations if it succeeded Reagan. Only on July 13, 1985, Bush became the first vice president to serve as acting president when Reagan underwent surgery to remove polos from his colon. Bush served as the acting president for approximately eight hours. In 1986, the Reagan administration was shaken by a scandal when it was revealed that administration officials had secretly arranged weapons sales to Iran during the Iran-Iraq War. 
The officials had used the proceeds to fund the anti-communist conference in Nicaragua, which was a direct violation of law. When news of, of the affair broke to the media, Bush, like Reagan, stated that he had been out of the loop and unaware of the diversion of funds, although his head, this had assertions this has assertion has since been challenged. Firehead John Mitchell writes that no evidence was ever produced proving Bush was aware of the diversion to the contrast. But the but he criticized Bush's out of the loop carries Mitchell writing that the record is clear that Bush was aware of the United States in con- contravention of its own stated policy was trading arms for hostages. The Iran Contra scandal, as it became known, did serious damage to the Reagan presidency, raising questions about Reagan's competency. Congress established a Tower Commission to investigate the scandal and at Reagan's request, a panel of federal judges appointed Lawrence Walsh as a special prosecutor con- charged with investigating the Iran-Contra scandal. The investigation continued as Reagan left August, and though Bush was never charged with the crime, the Iran-Contra scandal would remain a public, a political liability for him. 1988 presidential election. Bush began planning for a presidential run after the 1984 election, and he, it, and he officially entered the 1988 Republican Party presidential nominees in October 1987. He put together a campaign led by Reagan, by Reagan staffer Lee Atwater, and which he also included his son George W. Bush, and the media consultant Roger Al, a, Roger Ailes. Though he had moved to the right during his time as vice president, endorsing a Human Life Amendment and repudiating. Repudiating his earlier comments on voodoo economics, Bush still faced the opposition from many conservatives in the Republican Party. His major rivals for the Republican nomination was Senate Minority Leader Bob Dole of Kansas, Congress Jack Kemp of New York, and Christian televangelist Pat Robertson. Reagan did not publicly endorse any candidate, but he privately expressed support for Bush. But he privately expressed support for Bush, although he considered the early front runner for the nomination. Bush came in third in the Iowa caucus behind Dole and Robinson, much as Reagan had done in 1980. Bush organized his staff and concentrated on the New Hampshire primary with help from Governor John H. Sununu. And in effect, the campaign attacking Dole for raising taxes, Bush overcame an initially polling despot and won New Hampshire with 39% of the vote. As the Bush won South Carolina and 60 of the 17 states holding primary on Super Tuesday, his competitors dropped out of the race. Bush occasionally criticized his lack of eloquence when compared to Reagan delivered a well-received speech at the Republican Convention. Known as the Thousand Points of Light speech, it described Bush's vision of America. He endorsed the Pledge of Allegiance, prayer in schools, capital punishment, and gun rights. Bush also pledged that he would raise he would not raise taxes, stating Congress will push me to ta- Congress will push me to raise taxes, and I'll say no, and they'll push, and I'll say no, and they'll push again, and all I can say to them is read my lips, no new taxes. Bush had selected little-known Senator Dan Quayle of Indiana as running mate, though Quayle had compiled an, an, an unremarkable record in Congress. He was popular among many conservatives, and the campaign hoped that Quayle's youth would appeal to younger voters. Meanwhile, the Democratic Party nominated Governor Michael Dukakis, who was known for presiding over an economic turnaround in Massachusetts. Leading in the general election polls against Bush, Dukakis ran an ineffective, low-risk campaign. The Bush campaign attacked Dukakis as an unpatriotical, unpatriotic liberal extremist and seized on Dukakis' power of Bully Horton, a convicted felon from Massachusetts who, ra- 
who had raped a woman while on the a prison furlough. The Bush campaign charged that Dukakis presided over a revolving door that allowed dangerous convicted felons to leave prison. Dukakis damaged his own campaign with a widely mocked ride in an M1 Abrams tank and a poor performance at the second presidential debate. Bush also attacked Dukakis for opposing a law that would require all students to recite the Pledge of Allegiance. The election is widely considered to have had a high level of negative campaigning, although though political scientist John Gere has argued that the share of negative ads was in line with pre- previous presidential elections. Bush defeated the caucus by a margin of 426 to 111 in the Electoral College. It took 53.4% of the national popular vote. Bush ran well in, the, in all the major regions of the country, but especially in the South, he became the first sitting pre- vice president to be elected president since Van, Martin Van Buren. In 1936, the first president to see the president from his own party via elections since Hoover Hoover. In 1929, in the concurring congressional elections, Democrats retained both control of both houses of Congress. Presidency 1989-1993, Bush was inaugurated on January 20, 1989, succeeded Ronald Reagan in his inaugural address. Bush said, I come before you and assume the presidency in a moment rich with promise. We live in a peaceful, prosperous time, but we can make it better for a new breeze is blowing and a world refreshed by freedom seems reborn for in the man's heart, if not in fact, the day of the dictator is over. The totalitarian era, the totalitarian era is passing. Its old ideas blown away like leaves from an ancient lifeless tree. A new breeze is blowing and a nation refreshed by freedom stands ready to push on. There is new ground to be broken and new action to be taken. The Bush Cabinet Bush's first major appointment was that of James Baker, Secretary of State. Lucia's Department of Defense went to Dick Cheney, who had previously served as General Force Chief of Staff and would later serve as Vice President under George, under George W. Bush. Jack Kemp joined the administration as Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, while Elizabeth Dole, the wife of Bob Dole, and the former Secretary of Transportation became the Secretary of Labor under Bush. Bush retained several regular officials, including Secretary of the Treasury, Nicholas F. Brady, Attorney General Dick Thornburg, and Secretary of Education Lord Cavazos. New Hampshire Governor John Sununu, a strong supporter of Bush during the 1988 campaign, became Chief of Staff. Brent Scowcroft was appointed as a National Security Advisor, a role he had also under held. He had also held under foreign foreign affairs. End of the Cold War. During the first year of his tenure, Bush pursued the what Soviets referred to as a pause, a break in Reagan detente policies. Bush and his advisors were initially divided on Gorbachev. Some, some administration officials saw him as a democratic reformer, but others suspected him of trying to make the, premium, the minimum changes necessary to restore the Soviet Union a competitive position with the United States. In 1989, communist governments fell in Poland, Hungary, and Czechoslovakia. The, governor, the governments of Bulgaria and Romania instituted major reforms, and the government of East Company, of East Germany opened the Berlin Wall, which was subsequently demolished by Berliners. Many rushed Soviet many Soviet leaders urged Gorbachev to crush the descendants in East, Eastern Europe, but Gorbachev declined to send the in the Soviet military, effectively abandoned the Brezhnev Doctrine. The U.S. was not directly involved in these appeals, but the Bush administration avoided the appearance of gloating over the demise of the Eastern Bloc to avoid undermining further democratic reforms. Bush also helped convinced Polish leaders to allow democratic elections became the first city president to visit Hungary. 
By mid-1989, as unrest plagued in Eastern Europe, Bush requested a meeting with Gorbachev and the two agreed to hold the December 1980 Malta summit. Though many of the right remained wary of Gorbachev, Bush became Bush came away from the Malta summit with the belief that Gorbachev would negotiate in good faith for the remainder of his term. Bush sought cooperative relations with Gorbachev, believing that the Soviet leader was the key to peacefully ending the Soviet domination of Eastern Europe. The key issue at the Malta summit was a potential reunification of Germany, while Britain and France were worried of a reunified Germany. Bush concerned West German Chancellor Helmut Kohl and pushing for a German reunification. Bush believed that a reunified Germany would serve U.S. interests, but he also saw reunification as providing a final symbolic end to the World War II. After extensive negotiations, Gorbachev agreed to allow a reunified Germany to be part of NATO and Germany officially reunified in October 1990. Though Gorbachev acquiesced to the democratization of Soviet satellite states, he suppressed nationalist movements within the Soviet Union itself. A crisis in Lithuania left Bush in, in a difficult position as he needed Gorbachev's cooperation in the reunification of Germany and feared that the collapse of the Soviet Union could leave nuclear arms in dangerous hands. The Bush administration mildly protested Gorbachev's suppression of the Lithuanian independence movement, but took no action to directly intervene. Bush warned independence movements of this disorder that could come in with succession from the Soviet Union in the 1991 address that critics labeled the Chicken Kiev speech. He cautioned against suicidal nationalism. In July 1991, Bush and Gorbachev signed the Arms Protection Treaty, START One Treaty, in which both countries agreed to cut the strategic nuclear weapons by 30%. In 1981, so it just dissolved into 15 independent republics, including Russia, labeled 11. In August 1991, hardline communists launched a coup against Gorbachev. While the coup quickly fell apart, it broke the remaining power of Gorbachev and the central Soviet government. Later that month, Gorbachev resigned as the general secretary of the Communist Party and Russian President Boris Johnson in ordered the seizure of Soviet property. Gorbachev clung to power as the president of the Soviet Union until December 1991, when the Soviet Union dissolved. Fifteen states emerged from the Soviet Union, and of those states, Russia was the largest and the most populous. Bush and Yeltsin met in February 1992, declaring a new era of friendship and partnership. In January 1993, Bush and Yeltsin agreed to start two, which provided to further nuclear arms reduction at the top of the original START treaty. The collapse of the Soviet Union prompted reflections on the future of the world, war, of the world following the end of, of the Cold War. One political scientist, Francis Fukuyama, speculated that humanity has reached the end of history in that liberal capitalist democracy have permanently triumphed over communism and fascism. Meanwhile, the collapse of the Soviet Union and other communist governments led to post-Soviet conflicts in Central Europe, Eastern Europe, Central Asia, and Africa that will continue long after Bush left office. Thank you for listening to this, uh, these two episodes of U.S. President number 41, George H.W. Bush. Stay tuned for the third part. Have a good week. Have a good Memorial Day. And thank you for listening. Stay safe out there.